0: for rocking with us check it check it Julie kick off the shelf
1: welcome to crazy and the king
0: let me tell you something I'm coming into this thing a little bit more reserved and poised and all of that uh other stuff because I am going to cheat on you today Julie uh I do have <laughs> my Izzy um okay this is a little bit of a different beverage than normal Uh uh-huh for a reason because i felt pretty good when we were in detroit i was down like 12 almost 15 pounds yeah um so i felt good and so i said i'm going to to have a clean month of august so izzy and not my normal cognac
1: nice i have my
0: licorice or my twizzlers (laughs) and whenever i have my twizzlers you know we are going to talk about something very interesting but before we get to that. How are you? And did you enjoy Detroit?
1: Uh, I love Detroit. That's the first time I've been there since I was a kid. We had too much fun. It was my first conference since early 29 or 2020. So like what a the best freaking way to get back on the bandwagon, like so happy to be with all of you guys. And the symphony team is so amazing.
0: Yeah, let me tell you, and, and I had fun. I I think the most fun for me, two, three things stood out. Okay. And not in any particular order. As I was headed back to the airport, because we were doing the Joy Road show with Symphony Talent, and you know we had already done some great images and photography. There was a Joy Road exit. So I actually was flying on the highway because I don't know where I'm going. I happen to see this, so I literally try to grab the cell phone, get it all unlocked, and take a picture of the Joy exit <laughs> for the Joy Road show we were there. So that's one. Number two showing up at a location waiting for the film team and you're the only one there.
1: Yes. So I'm like looking at the
0: email, like, uh, well, where's everybody at? They're like, Oh, we canceled it. So, so that was cool. Shout out to you all over at symphony talent. You know who you are, but I'm not mad. It was cool. It gave me a chance to see another side of Detroit. Uh, but then the third thing, like you said, just really seeing everyone, uh, being able to just be around that energy. And even though it was a small group, we were all like genuinely happy to see one another. We had some great conversations. Symphony Talent did an amazing job. Debbie Toole uh, spent some time with us and invited us to her podcast or at least participated in Chad and Cheese's podcast. So we were all there together with Tim Sackett. So like you said, I had a good time.
1: Yes, 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 yes. Can't wait to do it again
0: next year. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so um, real quick, uh, Tesla. They had to yeah. pay somebody a very big bag, like 1.2 million dollars. Um I, I, I wonder, like, could you ever take 1.2 mil in a settlement and still go to work the next day? Or, or would you quit like Ooh. immediately?
1: Well, for that, or I would not work for them, if that's what okay. you mean. No, I okay. would take a settlement, not work for them, and then I would take a hiatus, right? little little beach vacation, but I don't think I could not work. I, I think maybe a year or two I'd have to be back in the in the saddle. How about you?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, I would absolutely do the same. I'm I'm not I don't think I'd stay out for an entire year, but I would take some time off. And and you know, just yet again, just just recognizing why Tesla is paying this one point two million dollars because you have supervisors in a plant that feel like they can use the N-word to refer to actually refer to an individual.
1: Yeah, you know, what? this reminded me of it, surprised me. So, God, 2019, one of our first stories we talked about in Crazy and the King was GM had a plan. I think it was in Ohio. It was. That they were hanging nooses, they were writing the N-word, and the response was fairly lackluster, right? It was... We're going to go to court. We're going to fight it. We're going to put in some kind of bullshit training. And then, but the likelihood of a positive settlement for the employees was really, really limited because it was like general use, right? I don't know how you generally use that word, but it wasn't directed at a particular employee, a but a group of employees. So when Tesla, under arbitration, came to a settlement, For $1.2 million for, I think, the direct use of the N-word to an employee, um, it's it's a pretty big deal, right?
0: Well, it is a big deal because inside of this Bloomberg story down towards the bottom, it talks about how challenging it is to gain the documentation and the support that you need in an arbitration process. Like it's a little bit of a different, actually not a little bit, it's a more restrictive process than being in court. And so in effect, it makes it harder to prove that these allegations were true in an arbitration settlement, which even though Tesla vehemently denies that these events took place, apparently they were able to get the documentation and the support that they needed to justify the award. So you're right. Yeah.
1: They still sign the check, right?
0: Absolutely. They still so, sign the check.
1: Good news today. Yep. Nike. So in early May, they designed and released a shoe called the Fly Ease. There was actually, that one was the Go Fly Ease. And it was the first truly hands-free shoe designed for a person with a disability. So if, if you could see me, it's kind of like a band, it's a tension yep. band, no laces, no bending, no ties, nothing. Fully accessible shoe. And came out normal Nike price tag, 120 bucks. Well, just like I wanted a pair of little Nas X Satan sneakers. Everyone wanted them. They sold out in minutes. And then they were getting resold for $500, $700, $2,000 by the sneaker brokers, which is, if you like... You know, a fresh pair of J's. You know what I'm talking about. And this week, we have the next release of the FlyEase Glide back on the market. If you are a person with a disability, you can grab them now. I literally just checked before we recorded this that there are two options available in multiple sizes still.
0: You know, that's interesting because when you say that they flew off the market, that retailers couldn't um, keep them Uh, in stock or in inventory that they hit the resale market and were selling for two, three, four times the amount of the original cost. It suggests to me that the only people that purchased them, Jay, were not people that might have really needed them. It could have been a lot of folks that grabbed them because they're a statement piece. Yeah. or the ease of use, if you will, mm-hmm. you know, just the functionality of the shoe, which reminds over and over again, or shall I say, reinforces over and over again, when we do DNI better, we do everything better.
1: Everything better. Uh, yeah, like honestly, like people were throwing a fit, and I just kind of sat back and I smiled because you all want something that we have right you want something that was designed for everyone they yeah. the us uh, men's olympic team sported them they look awesome they're fly yes i want people who need them to have them but how cool to have something that for a community that's so often getting the hand-me-downs or the you know the the junky clothes that are not built for people with physical disabilities to have something so popular that they sold out like that
0: yeah now let me ask you you know is that is the shoe that you are referring to because I didn't see this at all. And you just said the Olympic team actually had them. So mm-hmm. that, that says something. So yeah. is this shoe like in a protected place? Is it in a, a special order section of Nike's website? I mean, maybe elaborate um, just a little bit on that.
1: Yeah. they So they might be in a special order place. Like I'm on the Nike site right now. It, it looks like it's just a regular page. Um, Some people were on Twitter today saying that they couldn't find any available and Nike retweeted multiple times the link um, and they were grabbing them. So they're definitely there. They're not hidden, but they've been super hyped. Like when you've got, you know, those guys wearing them while they're carrying around Olympic gold medals. Like Nike actually has a picture um, on their Twitter with all of the guys with the shoes on holding their gold medals. Like they're definitely getting super hyped, which again, I think is pretty cool.
0: Love it. So you you have something in uh, from uh, an individual by the name of Kath Barbadero. Wait, 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 I'm sorry. Were we done with Nike?
1: Oh, yeah, I'm done with
0: Nike. Okay, cool. So <laughs> Kath, I think it's Kath Barbadero. What, what's going on there? Yes. Yeah, Podcaster?
1: Comedian, podcaster, just a really, really funny writer. She has multiple podcasts, does a lot of really funny stand-up out of Austin. And I just happened to, uh, on this tweet, and it says, it's pretty funny that the world is ending and we all just have to keep going to our little jobs, LOL. And I thought, God, how how did you capture how so many people on the planet feel right now and that employers just don't get?
0: I pause for effect because like, it really is just that simple. Like we recognize that, that organizations need to continue to run. I remember I was driving, uh, this week, as a matter of fact, I was driving this week and don't remember what station I was listening to, but one of the personalities or one of the guests on the station talked about how the airline industry, in effect, has been caught flat-footed. And so I said to myself, were they really flat-footed? Like, I, I wonder if... Did they do the wrong thing by laying off the individuals that they laid off in 2020 and perhaps uh, the beginning of 2021? Did they react too slowly to what might have been the rise in travel because the CDC lifted mask restrictions and then some of the governors went a step further, if you will, and reopened up some of you know, the uh, retail establishments and other businesses. But I look at where we are right now. I I saw someone put up a tweet and it said, are we moving too fast with these in-person events and conferences, as a matter of fact? You know, Mm -hmm. are we moving too fast? And so you're right. This really is an interesting tweet that just kind of sits right there. Exactly. It just sits right there. It's almost like you don't see it, but you're bumping into something and you can't get it out of the way. You don't exactly know what you're you're bumping into, but she dropped it right at the right time because we really do have a number of considerations that are important. And yet we got to figure out how to keep that personal economy going.
1: Yeah, I I mean, it's catch 22. There are a lot of things, but I just, she so beautifully said how I feel. And I realized that, I'm not alone a lot in the last few months and, and we can't just pretend like everyone's cool with just going back to normal and that we have bigger fish to fry than than going to work some days.
0: How 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 are you and your team like dealing with it? Are you all discussing it head on as a team, a collective democracy committee or do you have a small group of stakeholders that are trying to determine what the best course of action is? If If you can elaborate, I don't want yeah. you to- Talk too, too in depth, if you will.
1: So for my team, Disability Solutions, it's easy, right? We're all remote and we're all um, vaccinated, I think. And we are all pretty comfortable with wearing a mask, doing the travel, that kind of thing. But um, a- as our leader, I've said, hey, I'm not going to force anyone to do travel they're not comfortable with. One of us is always going to be able to step into an event or, or that kind of thing or I reserve the right to say, I don't feel comfortable sending someone to this event live. And that's sort of been the rule for the last, let's say six months, right? Where travel was actually possible again. I put in a travel moratorium period for about 14 months. Mm -hmm. And now that we've started that again, um, I wanna be really respectful of how we're, we're approaching that. And, like I talk about all the time, we're always keeping a close eye on each other's mental health. You know, I've had to my team before say, Julie, we got this. Check out, you know, and I will tell whoever on the team, hey, I've seen you've been on email for 16 hours. I'm going to need you to take a nap today. Like, I, I just don't need you at that level. And so we're pretty good about taking care of each other. And I think we do this not perfectly. But it is one of the things I'm probably most proud of.
0: Well, I'm smiling because, again, you know, that conversation and the tweet just kind of lingering right there. Even pizzeria shops are trying to get in the fray of recruiting. (laughs) You know, uh, Bloomberg talked about a a pizza shop in my uh, hometown of Iowa or or home state of Iowa. And it talked about the owner of this particular pizza shop saying, listen, listen. Everything's fair game. Why don't you go steal some some talent from, from the other pizza shop down the street? Like we, we really don't think about recruiting in that way. We kind of think about recruiting as high tech and banking <laughs> and high dollar sales and million dollar quotas and pharmaceutical. We don't really think about curating, you know, that conversation just to get you to come down the street at a pizza shop and throw some dough in the air. But Uh, It's working. Real quick, before we get out of here before for our break, the SEC did approve uh, the listing seeking to expand race and gender uh, diversity on corporate boards. So I appreciate that. And they were able to do that. Or, shall I say, willing to do that, even at the resistance of some of the uh, Republican senators. So uh, you will be looking at uh, some new. New regulation, new requirements, some new expectation. Let's go with that. Some new expectation over the next 18 to 24 months from companies that are listed uh, on the SEC. So let's take a quick break. Uh, I don't know who the ad is going to be, but let's just enjoy it because I got a conversation for y'all when we get back. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.
1: All right. I looked at our show sheet today and you, thank the gods, helped design the show every week and I logged in to kind of add my pieces and parts and I was like, what the hell is happening here? I had no yeah. idea, so I'm I'm turning it over to you, my pod partner. Don't let me down.
0: Yeah, Washington Post. Uh, over the weekend, uh, the the uh, journalist for this particular story, her name is Amber Ferguson. She published an article on August sixth, and that article is titled "Unpaid Caregivers: How America Treats Women Caring for Paralyzed Partners." okay unpaid caregivers how america treats women caring for paralyzed partners on the surface headline to me is fair i'm not going to get into the details of the article you can read that on your own what i wanted julie and i to talk about is something that happened so I tweeted out the article and full disclosure, I actually invited the author of the article to be a guest on the show. I didn't get a response. Whole another issue. Not what? Well, not issue. Just whole another thing. I tweeted out the article and I said, insightful, good reporting, because what it did for me is it elevated a scenario that I'm really on the fringes with, like, I know that somebody is caring for that person who may have been temporarily or permanently disabled, but I don't really think about, as we just mentioned a moment ago, their personal economy. I don't really think about how is it that that family, first of all, the person who, uh, acquired their disability through an accident, if you will. So this is an absolute disruption to life i don't Mm -hmm. care how you slice it it changes the frequency the cadence the caliber of everything that that person that that family knew it just changes everything so so even though i am on the fringes aware that somebody's got to care for them i really hadn't given thought to well how do they generate money who is paid? I I know that there's a disability check that comes through like SSI or something else. But what other maybe way can they generate else. money? Yeah. What other way can they generate money? So you probably have given more thought to this subject than I have. And so I guess my first question to you, Julie, when you see the headline. And if you've had a chance to read the story, maybe you can give me some commentary or your feelings of the story, but. When you saw the headline, does it elevate a subject that is foreign to you? Or is this something that you have always thought about and given credence to?
1: So I did have a chance to read the article. And the gist basically is that as a as a partner of a person with a disability, especially a um, quadriplegic, paraplegic, spinal cord injury, Your life does change. And some states in their Medicaid systems allow for you to be compensated for that care as a traditional caregiver. If you were someone that was hired out of the house, you know, that kind of medical format, right? I am familiar and comfortable with this because I worked for Medicaid in Indiana, and this is not a benefit that we allow Spouses or partners in the state of Indiana, which I think is a fail. So, the gist of the article, right, is bringing to light something that most people don't recognize that if you have a partner, especially the one they talked about in the story, who has recently acquired their disability, your life does dramatically change and you have that adjustment period. And full-time work may not be feasible at that moment. And sometimes marriage at all under the law will not be feasible because so much of our regulation around disability and economics is ableist in its nature. So there's there's a whole conversation that I am barely capable of talking about, right, with with years of experience in this world. But I get that. Now, you posted and it looks like you got some pushback. And I think I'm going to understand the reason for the pushback. Um, and, And I actually think completely unrelated, I stumbled onto a hashtag related to this story earlier today before I even read it. So talk about the pushback that you got.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So before I even get into the pushback, I do want to highlight I appreciated the pushback. And so I engaged with some individuals on Twitter, not by my own um volition if you will. I engaged because I actually got challenged. And there was an individual who came because I tweeted out the article and said that it was insightful and it was good reporting. A person uh, came to me and they said, if you care about D&I, then maybe you need to read some of the comments from people in the disabled community. And so, you know, I looked at the word if and I always tell you, Julie, that the two most powerful words are love and process. The way that I process the if is you are questioning whether or not I actually care. About diversity and inclusion. Am I authentic, sincere, genuine in my concern for this DNI space? And so my response to the person that said, if you care about DNI, my response was, if inside of quotation marks, I said, clearly you don't know who I am. And so as a result, or because of that, and I'm paraphrasing, because you don't know who I am, I'm just gonna bid you have a good weekend. Yes. Left it at that. Well they came back. <laughs> and they came back again. They came back some more. And then a couple of other folks jumped in and uh went in. One one individual said, What it seems to me you're doing is deflecting. What it seems to me you're doing is centering yourself in the conversation about how much of an ally you are, how much you care about the DNI space. What it seems to me is. You're not taking into account what other people from the disability community are saying about the article. Let me be clear. There were a number of people who commented on the article and said that it didn't center people with disabilities. You didn't really hear from people with disabilities, that it made disability seem like it's a burden. It was characterized, one person said to me that it was a terror, it was traumatizing to read this the story. What I said to, I tried to encapsulate with all of them. And by the way, in addition to inviting the person who wrote the story, Amber Ferguson on the show, I also invited three of the naysayers, three of the people that challenged me on Twitter to be guests on the show. So I want you to understand I'm fair. I'm absolutely fair. So I invited them to come onto the show. And what I tried to get them to understand is the article can be insightful and bring more people into an awareness, a knowing of what it is like for people with disabilities, particularly paralytic debil- dis- disabilities that really prevent people from doing what they may have normally been doing. I thought the article could bring more people into that awareness and maybe they would become advocates, av- allies something so that we can change policy and make it so that it's more than 16 states. I think it's eight of them where Medicaid would kick in and another eight where private arrangements could kick in for that caregiver in terms Mm -hmm. of compensation. It needs to be all 50.
1: It it does. Yes, it does. It needs to to be be all 50.
0: All all 50. It should not be 16. So that was the point that I was trying to raise with these individuals. Julie, Mm -hmm. they took me to the tool shed. They was trying to give me the business. They was trying to give me the business. And so I guess my question is, and here's where I'm going to turn it over to you. The the piece that really got me is that one of the young ladies, and I'm going to assume that it's a she, maybe they, able-bodied people, don't they shouldn't have an opinion like keep your mouth closed and i said to myself well how do you become an ally if just because you're not from the community you can't say shit yeah that makes it challenging to be an active ally it does it does and so basically what she said was shut up yeah she was like keep your mouth closed you don't have the right to comment on something where you are not a part of. And I just found that to be like, I, I was like, um, I think you we 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 must have totally been two ships in a night. But I wanted <laughs> I, I wanted I wanted I I, I seriously, I sent her a DM and I said, Listen, I know publicly we've we've gone back and forth, but no animus. Here's my number, call me. Mm-hmm. And you know, she was like, nah, I kinda get triggered and you know, I don't I can't talk to people I don't know and I was like, "All right, cool. It's, it's all good. I I get it." Um so what do you think? What is your what are your thoughts?
1: <sighs> My goodness, there's a lot to to dissect here. So let's start with you. Um since I think that's where where the pushback was coming. Um and and then I want to spend kind of the remainder of our time talking about why this article triggered people. So you and I have had this conversation privately where how many times have I been told by, and, and I'll say a, a black woman more often than, than not, to shut the fuck up, sit the fuck down, and we'll get to disabled and we'll get to your community someday. But, but the, the, the table is too small. You, you don't got a place here. And how hard that was. I've always was. told
0: you, you do have a place. Keep going. You,
1: you have always told me that, and so I think I would, I would relay that to say I understand how you feel, and I can also understand how they feel because it's that that division of the pie, and who gets to come to the table and who gets to tell their story. That is missing so often in your community, that's also missing in my community. And I think that the the women who have said that to me, I, I had to step back and I had to process, but I had to understand where they were coming from and try to learn from that and try to talk less and listen more. And so I, I would say that back to you is one is I know your heart and I know you. I know the advocate that you are. I know the ally that you are. I know that we spend this time learning from each other every week. So don't let this conversation dissuade you from having more conversations. Let it be a moment where you can say, how can I say better? Or how can I, before I tweet, think about, how a person who is in a wheelchair may feel about this story. And so then kind of let's switch to that, right? So I read the article um, just before we hopped on. And again, with the background knowledge, I had the same takeaway of this is what the person who wrote it is trying to accomplish. And, And I appreciate that. We need voices, we need allies. What was not in that article was anything that had to do with the person who's gone through this, this life-changing experience, who now has to rely on a partner, who has to rely on a caregiver. And it reinforced, one, the, the medical model of approaching disability. This is not about a human or about how society should build around all of us, but about how we should pity this person who is able-bodied, who is now stuck, taking care of this broken person. If it had been a dual story, if it had been an impact to their family or their lives, right? But it was solely about the able-bodied person. And in that, again we have people talking about us without our voices being represented so nothing with you know nothing for us without us and we are the the subject the the object of scorn really um and, and the person who is stuck loving us is is someone to be pitied and and put on a pedestal and it's the nuance. I've been saying this a lot of, about language in our community. It's the nuance of the language in which people speak about us or speak on our behalf that reinforces systemic ableism, that reinforces and validates that people with disabilities don't belong in your workplace that, that they don't have they shouldn't, you know, be thought of when you're building your office spaces, all of those things. And what I love about this this story is that I opened your tweet and I can see the thread right is you've got people with disabilities using their voices using what has been places where they didn't feel like they could have that voice say to you and say strongly to you hey this is what we need. This is what we want. This is why it's important. Now, Twitter is a shitty space to do that. If we're all being honest, right? It's just a really hard way to communicate. But I, I really appreciate the fact that you got that engagement, and it wasn't just that like shrug of like, whatever. We can't overcome it. It's too much more to to stand. And then, lastly, I would say, just to kind of wrap up. Um, before any of your last thoughts is right before this, I was reading a tweet by Maria Town, who is the president CEO of um, AAPD. If you don't follow her on Twitter, you definitely should. It's uh, a M-A-R-I-A underscore M underscore town T-O-W-N. And it's the hashtag disabled love is beautiful. And it's really a series of very, very empowering tweets that are, I think, because no one calls out the article, we're smart about not sharing what demeans us, right? But talking about an ableist article that talks about the suck of having to take care of a partner with a disability. And so I would would go check that out because that's how people want to feel that's how we want to be written about whether we're abled or disabled um and i think that will kind of change the perspective
0: awesome well let me (laughs) just say um i am right now going in to every single one of the responses uh to to that exchange over the weekend and i am now liking on purpose their um their rebuttals to me because like you jay i appreciated the engagement Mm -hmm. i didn't appreciate the way that she framed it but i wasn't emotional about it i just really wasn't saying go back and look at my history like whenever i see something from sucker (laughs) tarlson i um i can i can take it for face value Because I've already gone through the Twitter thread. I I got an idea. I've seen enough video. I I know who the cat is. The guy who started this whole uh, kerfuffle around critical race theory. Before I commented, I went through the Twitter thread. Pardon me. I I went deep into the Twitter thread to get an idea of where the person was coming from. Typically, before I comment on individuals, especially if I don't know them or know their history, I try to spend a few moments going through the Twitter thread. And so I appreciated each and every one of their responses really was not discounting, diminishing to the person who said, well, he hasn't retweeted any of the disabled people. No, I didn't. I didn't retweet the disabled people after you their comments after you said something, because I don't want to be reactive and performative. And yeah, so I'm sticking with, I still believe that it was an insightful article. I absolutely, absolutely embrace their lived experiences. And I shared this and wanted to keep you in the dark around the content of the conversation because I wanted it to be just as it was. And I want people, as I've often said, I want people to know that we can, we can get it wrong and still move forward. Yes. It doesn't, it doesn't diminish who you are. It shouldn't be an impediment to your participating in this journey of humanity. So I'm even more committed. And so yeah. I thank each and every one of them. I thank you for sharing some space and time with me and giving me that learning you, uh, you echoed what my wife said, you know, she said, you know, Torm, maybe, maybe you could have responded a little bit differently. You know, in the very, very beginning, she, she actually thought that I was cursing and I was like, no, nah, I wasn't cursing, but she, she echoed what you said. So thank you, pod partner. I appreciate you. That's what we're here for. Absolutely. So you got, um, well, real quick, we, let's, let's do, let, let's, let we, we got to do her voice. We won't play with folks because of time, <laughs> but, Her voice, before we get out of here, we will say this. If you're interested in sponsoring the segment, we use the segment to amplify women that are making some things happen, making beautiful things happen, progress happen. And Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul, Hochul, uh, she's going to be replacing the outgoing governor in New York, uh, and she will actually be New York's first female governor.
1: Yes she will. And I uh, watched her press conference uh, today and she's 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 going to run shit. It's going to be good.
0: Yeah, they say she's got a little bit of an uphill battle, but I don't know. I mean, you know, I think everyone has a blank canvas and she should be given the opportunity to pick up her paint brushes and materials and create the art that she wants people to see. So, I'm rooting for for her and I'm actually hoping that more men will understand that you know, that there, there really is a couple of boundaries like you got to kind of know when you're crossing Ill. the line. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. So Letitia Garrett, uh, previously of Run the World and former Obama White House uh, liaison uh, at the National Endowment for the Humanities, has recently joined a company called Civitech as the VP of Marketing. So shout out to Mish, Letitia Garrett. Real quick, uh, the How to Be an Ally Summit, the, the, the uh, summit is approaching in October. Which is National Disability Employee Awareness Month. Uh, and our dear friend Deanna Singh is going to be hosting that summit along with her team. So, again, you can Google how to be an ally summit. Uh, and the discount code, if you want to save, is C A T K Ally 10. I think it gets you 10% off of your ticket price. Yes. Again, C A T K Ally, the number one, the number zero. Name drop.
1: Um, So to Kevin Fitzpatrick and the National Industry Liaison Group National Team for pulling off my first in-person conference since 2020, got to see my team, got to see some good speakers, got to present. So congrats, guys. You did a great job.
0: And Ms. Jenny Clark is mine. She's the CEO of Jenny Clark LLC. She advises leaders um, around diversity and career progression, talent strategies, and organizational building she really is a force of nature you can find her at jennyclark.com that's g-i-n-n-y clark is c-l-a-r-k-e jennyclark.com again jennyclark.com she's got a bomb podcast like you absolutely should find her on instagram or twitter or go to her website jennyclark.com and take a listen to her podcast any travel this week nope
1: Home to portugal
0: Home till, ooh. Listeners, we are going to have a fun show in a couple of weeks because my pod partner just revealed that she won't be in an undisclosed location. You (laughs) at least have an idea of what the geo coordinates are going to be. Uh, I close, reminding each and every one of you to be better humans. Share the pod with your digital tribe. Find your voice. Let's create better culture, better teams, better workplaces. For now, Jay and I are ghost. See ya.